0: Hey there, this is Virginia Prescott with producer Sarah Plourd. Shh. What? I mean, what? We're having a secret drive. Right. If you love the podcast, consider making a small donation to the station where we make it, and we will send you some secret swag. What is it? I can't tell. It's a secret. All right. Go to nhpr.org support and chip in to get yours. We're trying to keep things quiet, but we hope you will make some noise for the 10-Minute Writers Workshop. The 10-minute writers workshop is supported by Heinemann, a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision-makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. Hi there, I'm Virginia Prescott and this is the 10-minute writers workshop. Richard Russo has written a memoir and several novels, including the Pulitzer Prize winner, Empire Falls. That and Nobody's Fool were both adapted into films starring Paul Newman. Russo returns to the fictional working class town of North Bath, New York for his most recent novel, Everybody's Fool. We sat down with him on the darkened stage of an eerily empty theater before an extended interview at the Capital Center for the Arts in Concord, New Hampshire.
1: Hi, I'm Richard Russo, and this is the 10-Minute Writer's Workshop.
0: Richard Russo, which is harder for you to write? Is it the first
1: sentence or the last? Well, sometimes the first sentence ends up being the last. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, never, No, that's, that's an exaggeration, but I, I usually begin with a sentence that looks like to me it's going to be the beginning of the book, and then I get to around page 75, and a new character comes in and says something, and I realize, nope, this new character has to be there from the beginning, and so I write another new sentence, and then I cherry-pick stuff out of those first 75 pages, begin again... This time I'll get to page 150, and the character will do or say something, and I'll realize, no, that's the first thing in the book, Um, and so uh, I start again, um, and this usually will happen to me at least half a dozen times. Uh, I don't think I have written a book yet where the first sentence that I wrote or the beginning, what I thought was the beginning of the book, turned out to be the actual beginning,
0: so it sounds like a lot of revisions, and you, you edit as you go along rather than writing it all and waiting until the end to edit?
1: That has changed over the course of my career. Um, when I was a younger writer and didn't fully appreciate how difficult it was to write a novel, I had great, what's the word, hutzpah I guess, about uh, a book. And I would launch in and I would write the world's ugliest paragraph and um, look at it and think there's an expression that's used in the film industry, we'll fix it in post. And I used to be that kind of novelist. I would just I just had this, this confidence that whatever was wrong could be fixed at, at any particular time. Now, in my 60s, knowing how many things can go wrong in a book, I really hate. To build on a foundation that I know is not completely level, <laughs> you know, because a half of a half a of bubble off of plumb in the ground floor may not be anything, but you go up 17 stories and you can see that thing tilt with the naked eye. So now I I spend a lot more time revising in the early going. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'm not a perfectionist. But it does. It has to feel like there are no major flaws in it that I'm going to pay for down the road.
0: So that's interesting. As many books as you've written, as practiced or, or disciplined a writer as you are, that you've become less cocky, which I guess is a good thing. Is there more humility in the process now?
1: Well... The process will teach you humility <laughs> over, over the years. If you're lucky enough to work at something, an art, if you're an artist, whether you're a, you know, a painter, sculptor, poet, fiction writer, screenwriter, if you work in the arts, the arts will humble you if you're paying attention. And um, you can, at the end of the process, as some artists do, you can pretend like you knew you were doing all along and that there was never a doubt that you would pull this off. Um, but that's not the truth of the circumstance. The, the longer The longer you work at it, the more humble you become about it.
0: So what do you think is the most common mistake that uh, new or aspiring writers make?
1: I think that what my biggest problem was, and, and, and I do see it in a, in a lot of young writers, is that self-consciousness, I think, is the enemy of art. And you cannot both write the story and watch yourself writing the story. You cannot, cannot be fully engaged with the characters in your novel, even as you're wondering, is this good? Are people going to like this? What are they going to like best? What are they going to like least? Will it make any money? Will I be able to pay my bills? I mean, all of those are relevant real-life questions, and you get to ask them, I suppose when you're not writing, but when you are writing, you yourself have to get out of your own way. And, I mean, we're all ambitious. We all want to write well, and we all want to be well thought of. But in the beginning, a writer really can get in his or or her own way if you don't give yourself over completely to what your book is really about. And it shouldn't be about you.
0: Are there personal habits that you learned or would encourage new writers to take up
1: well first of all think of it as a job like any other in one sense i mean in, so, in some way in in the most important respect it's more like a vocation than a job but in in a very basic sense uh like any other job you're not going to get paid if you don't show up um so so show up there are days when you're not going to feel like working and work those days anyway um don't get in the habit of saying, all right, I'll work twice as hard tomorrow. I'm going to take today off. I'll work twice as hard tomorrow. Or I'm going to take a couple of days off, and then, boy, I'm going to work the whole weekend through. The only thing that'll do is teach you how to hate the weekend. Um, and so um, it's, it's best, I think, for young writers in particular not to be overly ambitious about how many hours they put in on a, on a given day. If you write for an hour and a half, two hours, as I did, because that's all I could, I could do as I, was, as I was a teacher at the beginning, if you have 45 minutes, that's what you have. If you have an hour and a half, you have an hour and a half. But you're really not going to need more than two hours of drafting on a story. If you do that, you know, two hours is going to give you two or three pages, which at the end of the week is going to give you 20 to 25 pages. And then factor that out 52 weeks a year, you're not going to have a book, but you're going to have something the size of a book. You don't need to do any more than that.
0: What is your personal worst distraction, what the thing that keeps you from getting work done?
1: Over the long haul, I have not really allowed myself to be distracted very much. I'm pretty religious about the way I go about things. My wife, God love her, and my daughters, God love them. Um, have always understood that I need you know a couple of hours, and when those when I've, when I 've turned in those, then I can you know do the other things in my life that need doing. Um, Alexandra Styron tells this incredible story of her falling down the stairs in the family house, uh, and she broke her arm and it was dark in the cellar, and she didn't dare call upstairs into the house because her father was writing now I didn't yeah I did not I did not uh, instill um, that kind of uh, of regimen on my family but but it is important for a writer to just find out what's going to get the work done and to not permit those kinds of distractions if you can help it
0: what for you is the best environment for writing
1: well, boy, I used to love writing um, in coffee shops. Um, when the phone rang, it wasn't for me. There was always a very pleasant, ambient buzz of human conversation in there that I didn't have to listen to. You know, coming out of the fictional days into that kind of world is, is really reassuring in a, in a way. And then came cell phones. Especially the absence on the other side, in the end, the end of the line, where somebody else, somebody else you know is talking, but you can't hear what they're saying and you will supply that in the silence you you will not only hear that one person talking on the cell phone but you will supply the other side of the conversation which makes it impossible for for you to dream the the deep fictional dream that you that you want so now anymore it's not it's not perfect but i've actually i've actually learned to work at home in my office where when the telephone rings it is for me <laughs> and where One minute, I'm seated at at my desk with a pen in my hand, and the next minute, I'm standing in front of the refrigerator with the door open, with no memory of how I got there. (laughs) So it's not ideal, but it's what I have.
0: What is the best advice you ever received about writing?
1: I don't know if this falls under the heading of advice or not, but it was the single most important thing I think a teacher said to me. My first novel, unpublished novel, unpublishable novel and unpublished novel, um, I wrote when I was finishing up my degree in creative writing at the University of Arizona. And so I set that first novel in Tucson, um, and I gave it to my my mentor to read, and, and he, he gave it back to me with the news that I was expecting. I knew it wasn't very good, and he told me that it wasn't. And he said, um, if, there's, if there's a bright spot in this, he said, well, you're one unpublished novel ahead of an awful lot of people. And he said the other thing was that there was about 35 pages of backstory in the novel that took place in an upstate New York mill town. And he said, boy, that really came to life. You knew those people. And that was the knowledge, actually, that I had been running, running away from for a long time. Sooner or later, every writer has to ask himself or her, herself, who and what do you love? And until you answer that question, no amount of knowledge is going to get you where you want to be as a writer. It's it's only when you know who and what you love will your vision really take shape and your voice become genuinely your own and not just an imitation of somebody else's.
0: So when you're writing and in that period of struggle and you know six revisions in do you have another fantasy job that you would you would like to pursue or like to have had rather than writer
1: maybe there's a more maybe there's a more noble way to live a life than to than to sit by yourself all the time inventing people and and what they say and do to each other when in fact there are real people out there who often need a lot yeah, and so uh, what, would the, what would that fantasy job be? Well, you know, it, it would be whatever, whatever you're thinking about at the time. You know, if you're thinking that poor children don't have a chance in this life, or, or the, if you're thinking about the fact that, that, you know, 60% of American children go to bed hungry, well, then you think, well, shouldn't I be doing something to alleviate that very particular problem for, for real people? And what it comes down to, of course, is that we all only have one life— and we make a choice, and I don't think I've made a, a bad choice, um, you know, I, I certainly enjoy my work as a writer, it's great fun, I've learned tremendous empathy uh, from writing that I might not have learned any other way, and people tell me when they read my books that it often helps them in some way, so I I don't have any regrets about the career path that I've chosen. I can't imagine, you know, on a day-to-day basis looking at my life and thinking that I was put here to do anything else other than what I'm doing. But of course there are those days, aren't there? (laughs) There are those days when the painter holding the brush wonders if it's a brush that he should be holding and not something else.
0: Richard Russo, on stage at the Capital Center for the Arts. Thank you so much. Thank you pulitzer prize winning author richard russo there with some considered advice for writers he's also an advocate as vice president of the authors guild the 10 minute writers workshop is a production of nhpr produced by sarah plourd with help from maureen mcmurray there is loads more advice on putting your creative muscles to work just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and if you enjoyed it please give those muscles a stretch by posting a review that makes it easier for others to find us